Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode number 317. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this program. They're online at respectsextet.com. They had a great 10th anniversary show at LPR here in New York City, and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Congratulations to them. You can see uh, photos from the show and all kinds of other cool things uh, if you follow my Twitter stream, and also I'll post them at thejazzsession.com. And then please do check out respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo. He's online at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Thanks also to All About Jazz for carrying the show on their website. You can find it at allaboutjazz.com, and they have a widget which they've created that will allow you to post the latest episode of the Jazz Session on your website. And if you do that, please let me know because I will include a mention of your site in my newsletter, which goes out each Monday. Speaking of which, please do sign up for the email newsletter. You'll get one email a week every Monday usually. Sometimes it goes out on Tuesday, but it's usually Monday. And it tells you who's on the show that week and the next and contains links to photos and write-ups from jazz shows that I went to and usually a link to a poem or two and other interesting things. I never spam anybody and I don't sell your address. And it's the one way to contact you that I really have control over, that I actually pay to maintain. So, you know, things like Twitter and Facebook can change with no notice, but the mailing list remains mine and is a great way for you to stay in touch with me and for me to stay in touch with you. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane, D as in David. I hope you'll do that. And what else? Uh, you can subscribe to the show for free in iTunes. You can subscribe for free using an RSS reader. And, of course, you can download or stream all 317 episodes of the show at thejazzsession.com. And the show is member-supported, so if you like what you hear, please do become a member. You can do that for as little as 10 bucks a month. That is cheap. Or you can do it for $110 a year if you want to pay in one lump sum. And then there's a couple levels above that. At the top level, which is 50 bucks a month or $500 a year, you'll be listed as an official sponsor of the show and mentioned on every episode. Today's guest is Larry Goldings. He's a pianist and an organist, and in fact, he's just released an album playing both of those instruments, or each of those instruments, I should say, one on each record. He's released a solo recording called In My Room, and then a live at Smalls recording with his organ trio, uh, which is actually what we're going to hear from first. Larry's just one of those guys who's been around for a long time. Uh, I've known about him for a couple of decades now. I think, as I probably mentioned in the interview, I think I first heard him with Maceo Parker and the uh, Life on Planet Groove album. And which may actually be called Live on Planet Groove. <laughs> I I even looked it up, but I, I get it wrong all the time. For some reason, I can never remember if the first word of that record is life or live. But in any case, if you get all but one letter of that and on Planet Groove and put in Maisie Parker's name, it'll pop up. Trust me. Uh, it's a great record. And that's, I think, where I first knew about Larry. And then I've seen him every summer because uh, every year my family goes to and friends go to Tanglewood in Lenox, Mass, where I'm from. And we see James Taylor. And Larry is in James's band. So I run into him. Well, not run into him, but I see him play every year. Anyway, he was here in New York to do some gigs, and I had the pleasure to sit down with him. And before we hear that conversation, let's hear a bit from the new Organ Trio record, Live at Smalls. ¶¶ 
My guest is pianist and organist Larry Goldings. It's uh, so great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jason. So you have uh, a couple of projects. Uh, certainly by the time people are listening to this, the second one will be out too. But uh, one is a, a solo piano recording, although not exclusively piano, called In My Room, which is just really beautiful and kind of intimate, and it's a, a pretty cool look inside your brain, it feels like, when I'm listening to it. Can you talk a little bit about why you made that record? Yeah, well, I was approached by... Um uh, a friend of mine, actually, named Michelle Ito, who's uh, now involved in a pretty new uh, label called BFM Jazz, and she basically um, uh, was uh, approaching me about uh, bringing her something that um, that perhaps I had already uh, made on my own, you know, something that they could they could put out for their spring release, and. Um, I didn't really have something that I could hand over to her, um, but what I decided to do in the end was um, pretty much make it um, sort of a uh, an at-home kind of project, uh, if you will. Um, good friend of mine, Richard Goodman, who's a, um, a Hollywood uh, live sound uh, guy, um, also is a music lover, and and the way he works is is mobily. You know, he can take his gear around wherever. So we had been, as it turns out, talking about doing something at my at my house or at any other location that we could get access to, almost just as an ex- and as an experiment, just to just to you know set up some good mics. And so when this opportunity uh, from Michelle and BFM Jazz came along, we thought, well, maybe this is maybe we'll do this for real. So I was you know happy enough with my piano at home to to give it a give it a shot, although it's not if I were to. Uh, you know, go, go, you know, think about a, a piano that I would want to record on. It wouldn't necessarily be my piano, but it's, it's, I like, I do like instruments with character, you know, and, and sometimes I prefer that than, uh, something that's, um, uh, overly shiny and produced sounding sometimes. And, um, and you don't find a lot of Steinways actually in studios anymore. You find a lot of nice Yamahas and things like that. But I thought, well, you know, let's give it a shot. So we sort of did some preliminary recordings at my home to see if we could really get away with it, and we just kept on approaching it like that.
Um, we ended up at two other locations because I wanted to try some other pianos. Um, a friend of mine who has a really interesting old um, uh, upright from the turn of the century, and then another friend of mine who has a really interesting Mason and Hamlin, all of which has have real interesting characteristics to them. What's a Mason and Hamlin for those of us who don't know? Just another uh, piano it's another piano that uh, I, I don't think you can... Uh, I, they, I think they stopped production of those pianos a while back but um, uh, so we, we sort of did it uh, you know guerrilla style kind of recording and, and did it relatively quickly to, to get her to get her the uh, the goods so they could they could put it out and so that's just that's that was sort of the the actual um, logistical approach to it and um, I didn't really have a, a, con- a concept in terms of the the material, um, until we just started recording a whole bunch of stuff, and I sort of started whittling it down. And it, as it turned out, it really did um, it really did sort of uh, uh, focus down into uh, well two themes in a way. One was um, um, a uh, covering. And interesting pop songs from the from the '60s and '70s, which is just just a, 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 as important to my roots as musician as as jazz has been. People like uh, Brian Wilson and Joni Mitchell and the Beatles and the Zombies and you know things that that uh, I, I think are sort of sort of later standards, you know. Um, and um later than than what we think of as american popular song uh standards and but i mix that with um another love of mine which is sort of a real turn of the century americana kind of sound uh things like take me out to the ball game and um just a song that i've always loved and um beautiful dreamer by stephen foster those are you know, like harmonically um types of songs um, that are very that have a, an American sentimentality that I that I've always loved, and so um, between those two um, points of focus, that was that was sort of became the the idea for the record, mixed with some experimental pieces that I that I, that I had recorded several months before, which basically can, we'd we'd call prepared piano the way that. Uh, to coin, I guess, the phrase that John Cage used when you basically put a bunch of stuff inside your piano and try to create a new instrument out of it.
in my case, it was mostly duct tape, um, <laughs> uh, taped to the, to the entire, uh, all the strings of my beautiful 1913 Steinway <laughs> and, uh, and a few other little, uh, screws and little metal doohickeys that I threw in there. And that was, that was something, as I said, that I didn't do for the record originally, but I remembered that I had them on, a machine not quite as nice as this uh, Marantz that we're talking into, but actually this little Tascam digital recorder. And I thought, God, remember those things that I did one night? Um, and I went back and I listened to them, and I ended up editing a few of those up and um, making uh, four what I call little interludes to kind of pepper the the record with some, you know, some things that were a little bit, still melodic in a way, but uh, a little bit more experimental, I suppose. So, you know, it was just sort of put together, and, 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 and I thought of that because the record was quite sort of on the slow side, and I thought, well, I don't, I want this, to, I don't want this to be, com- you know, completely a ballads record, so I ended up peppering it with those other things which had a little bit more energy to them, but, and that's basically how it happened. It was a very homespun thing, and it's kind of nice that, to know that I can do that, you know. The other thing about my piano is that it sounds best when it's played soft mm-hmm. and slow. And so in a way, some of the material was dictated by what I felt were the limitations of my instrument. Um, but I tried to take advantage of what I, what I felt were, were its strengths, which I think is a kind of a good thing to do anyway. If you're on a gig, I mean, pianists are always encountering different instruments. Every, every time they go, you know, they play a different club or a different concert hall, whatever. And that's kind of what you have to do on the spot anyway when you encounter a new instrument is try to, as quickly as possible, discern what, what the, the instrument can and can't do. And I think that that's what I ended up doing with my own piano or with, and with these other two instruments that I played. I also did a few, a little overdubbing on the record here and there, just layered a few other things on two or three songs. And then there were a few originals, some new pieces of mine. There was an old piece that I had recorded with my organ trio called Crawdaddy. There was a couple just uh, off-the-cuff improvisations. And, um, yeah, it's gotten a really good uh, reception. I mean, maybe the fact that, that I am, it is sort of a, a, a very stripped-down um, melodic approach to it. Um, maybe is refreshing to people, I'm not really sure, but I was... I was happy to to read that people, you know, are responding to it.
did you have to make any particular kind of harmonic choices to make like Joni Mitchell sit next to Stephen Foster or did you did you find juxtaposing those that you had to make some choices to make them hold hang together yes yeah, sort of but um well in general the the when you're covering I find that when I when I cover something like a, a pop song um usually the thing that attracts me to the song is the purity of it you know the 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 um the purity of the chord progressions and the fact that they're not jazz harmonies. And so, for instance, on the song "In My Room," the title track, I really tried to not mess with it too much harmonically because that's the thing that I always loved about it. Uh, it can be—you uh, can really ruin a ruin a, 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 a song by over harmonizing and and and. Uh, trying to be too clever with it so i really just tried to take the emotional content of it and explore that a little bit uh, a little bit of course i you know in the case of in my room i kind of slowed it down put it put it into another key and but still try to be pure about about it um and think about the words and, and 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 try to still be conscious of what the original song was trying to uh, put across and uh the same would go for the for the Joni Joni song all I want to I didn't really want to you know um deconstruct it too much she has a lot of that going on these days and 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 sometimes it's great sometimes it's just clever enough but also respectful to the song and sometimes I just think it's I just think, well, they, why, why didn't they just write a new song? I mean, if they're not, if they're using so little of the original material, um, so, but, you know, uh, in terms of making that work with, with other, other things on the record, um, I think that that's, that's consistent throughout the record in that I, I, I didn't deconstruct things too much, you know, um, um, and if I did, I tried to build up to it rather than, rather than just, uh, destroy it outright. But, uh, like Beautiful Dreamer starts with a very sort of dissonant, um, couple chords and, but then it's, that it's very, um, very Americana harmonically and, um, um, so, so I guess the, the strangest stuff on the record would be the little interludes, you know, but that's, even those have, uh, are based on, sort of high melodic content, you know, and is more experimental in the way it sounds and the way I change the, the, the piano sound. Um, so I'm a big melody. Melody's always first for me. That's, that's, the, that's the thing that leads me to the outer limits sometimes is, 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 uh, is melody first in a way. Is that what has made you a good pop and rock player, or is that a chicken-egg <laughs> it, it it could be. I mean, it. Um, uh, thank you for saying that. I I, I um um. I've always. Uh, I think I think yes. I think I think in part that's maybe why I feel comfortable in in certain um, pop rock or folk settings, is because I just relate to um, melodicism and lyricism. Um, and the and the purity of of uh of simple yet strong and well constructed chord progressions you know um yeah that might 
that there might be a connection there. Yeah. Uh, you're here in New York for a couple of reasons, but, uh, the next couple nights with your organ trio. Can you talk about that and about the new album that's on its way? Yeah. Um, the new album is with my long standing, um, trio of Peter Bernstein on guitar and Bill Stewart on drums and, uh, myself on Hammond organ. And, um, we hadn't made a record for a while now, maybe seven years or something. And for the 20 or so years that we've been together, it's actually our first live record. So, and, um, we have a very strong connection to Smalls where we recorded it because that was one of the places where we really cut our teeth back in the day. It's, it's, uh, so we're sort of in a way kind of back home, uh, to very familiar territory and, um, and, uh, recording there. And we did three nights there and tried to grab the, the stuff that we could stomach the best. So it's, for me anyway, it's stressful to, to record live, but you know, cause you can't really edit between nights right. or anything like that. <laughs> um, but we, we did find some stuff that we, that we all really liked. I mean, we've been playing together long enough. It can't be, can't be that hard to find <laughs> 65 minutes of music, but we're all a little on the picky side. It was cool because there's some songs on there that we've been playing for years but never recorded. Some standards like uh, Duke Pearson's chant. Oh, we actually we did record it, but it was a long time ago. A couple new tunes, so, uh, one by Peter and one by myself. And so it's really our this the stuff that pe- people know from the trio, either um, you know arrangements of standards or uh, or original material. It was just a lot of fun, you know. I mean, whenever we play Smalls, it's just the energy is great. It's filled with friends, and and uh, it was very nicely recorded. And um, so that's uh, that. And and we're real happy to have a record out. It sort of inspired us to get out there and 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 try to try to get out there uh, live, which which we've we've done, you know, relatively little for the for the length of time that we've been making records and, and playing together. But it's it's uh, it's great. I'm real happy with it, actually. I mean, 
those are two of my favorite musicians right there, Peter Bernstein and Bill Stewart. And we, uh, it's all, it's always feels like, uh, whether we're at Smalls or whatever, it always feels like we've kind of come to very familiar territory. We've practically grown up together musically. Did you know right from the first time the three of you were together that it was going to be something special, or is it something that you kind of grew into over time? It's hard to remember, but I, I mean, the first time I played with Bill was not in, in an organ context, but certainly the first time I met Peter, um, I knew that we were sort of cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways, and that was when we were in high school. I mean, we, went, we met at a um, summer jazz program at the Eastman School in Rochester, and very immediately we, we, we connected. And then, uh, yeah, a few years later when, when we, when Peter actually, I guess it was Peter who introduced me to Bill. Um, I, from the, pretty much from the get go, I can't remember ever feeling like I had to grow into something that, you know, it was, <laughs> I do remember that we had a, we each had an, an interest in, in the tradition of the, of the organ trio. And, and I guess we started out playing a lot of, tunes that were associated with that tradition but all three of us are also very open-minded so um you know we, we we pretty naturally gravitated to trying to find our own uh versions of, of standards peter and i uh are big standards people you know we, we used to go to the lincoln center library together to try to find like the most obscure you know alec wilder tune or something <laughs> like that you know, just stuff oh, you know stuff to to Really, just material to to try out at these little clubs in New York that we were playing. At sure, the, at the Village Gate was one of them, and the Augie's was was uh, which is now called Smoke, 106 and Broadway. Um, so we would just try to, you know, keep challenging ourselves and find uh, different material and and Bill. Every you know, everybody brought a different thing to it. You know. Um, Bill, the, I guess one thing I had to grow into with, with Bill maybe is just that I felt that he was so much more advanced rhythmically than I was, you know. I mean, he's such a, and he really had his own approach even when we, when we met. And for that matter, 
Peter did too. I mean, Peter's one of the most melodic, compositional type of players, beautiful sound, coming from some beautiful influences, but, but brings his own harmonic uh, aesthetic. And it was a pretty, pretty instant hookup. Although I've been aware of you as a jazz musician for years and years, I think probably the first time I ever heard you was in the band that Maceo had, whenever that was, probably close to 20 years ago now. And then I see you every single summer because I'm from Lenox, Massachusetts, and uh, our big family and friend gathering every year is that we all go to Tanklewood and we see James every single summer, and so I've been encountering you that way. And so so as much as I have followed your career as a jazz musician to me i don't really just categorize you in that way i mean to me you've always just been a musician and you keep popping up in many of my favorite places Mm -hmm. um was that was that kind of an intentional career choice that you made like i'm gonna i'm gonna go and seek out these other things besides uh, just improvised music or did it just kind of keep happening (laughs) yeah no not none of it was intentional i mean in terms of um in terms of the Maceo thing, um, that was simply a result of uh, Maceo hearing, hearing, coming to hear Bill specifically, actually, at Augie's when he was about to make his record, Roots Revisited. And make a long story short, he ended up um, calling me to, to do that, to tour for that record. And I just, I just said, okay, if, if, you, if you're sure you know what you're doing, hiring me to play authentic funk but it you know i don't know i just uh it worked out i mean i i i was familiar enough with uh, that music that i just tried to really zone in and 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 be as authentic as i could in that context and um it was like going to the harvard of funk i mean um there's really no one out there as authentic as those guys in terms of horn players. And, um, 
you know, and I learned on the gig. In fact, I learned the Hammond organ on that gig because even though he saw me in an organ context, I didn't even own a Hammond at that time. I was just playing little portable things. So uh, I just tried to quickly absorb so much, you know, at once, not only the, the instrument, but playing in that context. And, you know, when you play somebody with, play with somebody that strong, um, it's, uh, it's hard not to absorb it, you know. It just makes it that much more um, easy to, uh, not, not that it was easy, but if you're really listening hard to someone like Maceo's time and, you know, um, not to mention things that he, you know, showed me, little bass lines or advice that he had, you know, and, but I, I recognized my role, you know, that, that even though I'm a jazz, I was a jazz musician by trade, I'm sensitive to what not to, you know, what not to play, what's not going to sound right in the, in a certain context. And, um, so I've always been, you know, when I, I, and I've, and I grew up listening to pop records and I, I was, I've always been focused on keyboard players or whoever, uh, in, in that context, in, in that I'd be, I'd sort of be fascinated by what their role is in that, in that situation. And that sometimes it's not appropriate to play something with a, Sharp thirteen, you know, sharp nine or sharp thirteen, <laughs> not a sharp thirteen. Those of you who know harmony would know that yes. if I say sharp thirteen, I sound like an idiot. But anyway, that's just an inside harmony joke for you harmony nerds. We need we need more of those on the show. That's love sure. those sharp thirteens, flat thirteens. That would that would make more sense. But um, now in the case of James Taylor. And so I should just say that, and then what happened was that Maceo made this record, uh, well, he made a few, but this one called Life on Planet Groove that became a really big record for like, it's still to this day, like a big college party record, you know? Then I started playing with Schofield and who was playing a combination of sort of groove music. And so I sort of just accidentally kind of started getting associated with things that were more kind of in the R&B or funk or at least in the, in, in the case of John Schofield a real mix of things but we certainly played a lot of groove related music and I don't know just kind of went with it I mean it was never a conscious plan in other cases it's just like well whatever that next phone call is if it seems inviting um, you take it you know and in, in the case of James Taylor I owe it all to Russ Teitelman a great producer who's known for he was a staff producer at warner brothers for many years and made all the great randy newman records and a lot of fantastic records and i knew him a little bit he's a jazz fan he used to call me for little overdubs here and there on people's records and he was called to uh make october road which became james's release from 2001 and um but James had his regular band, but but he, he, there was a tune on there that was a very jazzy tune that, that Russ heard James play down and said, you know, I've got this, I want to bring in this guy that you might not know for this one tune. So basically they sent me a demo of the song, and I came in, met James and Steve Gadd and the whole band, and, and uh, came in and played that song, and a few months down the road, James asked me to to join the band. So... 
that's how that happened. And I was, I didn't see it as, well, in a way I did see it as a, as a radical change. It was certainly, um, very different from what the type of gigs that I had been doing. But in terms of my musical makeup, it was, man, man I mean, I grew up with James Taylor music. I was thrilled to, uh, to take on that challenge. And, and again, it was pretty natural to, to step into something where I knew my role would have to change. I couldn't just sit down there at the piano as a jazz piano player. But there is a certain amount of jazz in James's writing and, and what he wants. And he has a history of hiring guys who, with a jazz background, like Don Grolnick and, you know, a lot of people, you know, did my homework and really tried to absorb that music and figure out the spots where I could sneak in a little bit of Larry Goldings, but you know, for the most part, you don't, you, you really, you just try to play sensitively and, and, uh, and, uh, play with, with, with taste and play what's, what's right for the song and for him. And so, anyway, the 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 short, that's the long answer. But the short answer is, uh, I try to get. I'm lucky in that I can get involved in uh, a whole, a real wide range of stuff because that's really me. That that is who I am as a as a person, as a musician. I'm pretty eclectic, and it's, it's to me, it's it's really fun to be able to get off a James Taylor tour and then do something with in LA with Charlie Hayden or sing, play, play with some, or write with some singer songwriters or play with some singer songwriters and then do something with my organ trio. To me, that's always been the natural thing. And I'm really, I feel very blessed that, that I do that. And, uh, that keeps it really interesting to me. And each experience, you know, influences the other. I mean, the stuff, that, I mean, there's so much stuff. Last night we played with Maceo at town hall and it was the reunion of the band that we I used to be in with Maceo and it brought back so many memories of just stuff that that's really stayed with me that I learned from Maceo you know just in terms of how important time your time is for instance i mean someone with really great time 
can influence the entire band, you know, and can bring the level up if there's like a weak point, if, you know, in the, if, 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 for instance, that may be a weakness in the, in, in the band somewhere, you know, it can be outweighed by, um, someone with a really strong time feel and, and, and so in the case of me, that's, that's, that's how I look at Maceo, uh, not only as a great time player, but, um, his motivic approach to improvisation was very, influenced me a lot. The way he could take a very small idea and expand on it. The way that some great jazz musicians do, like Sonny Rollins and Eddie Harris and people like that. But, so, and then, you know, from James Taylor, just hearing those pure songs every night and really getting inside of them has influenced my writing, has influenced my playing, has influenced, or just seeing how he deals with an audience, how he's, um, he's, a, he's so sort of humble as a, as a, particularly for someone who's such an icon, just to see the way he kind of deals with life, at least from as, as, as much as I can see from day to day has also influenced me. So, you know, um, and then playing with my peers, people like Peter and Bill, it's all, um, part of the, um, the, each experience is, 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 is influencing uh, the other. And, and that's the way I, that's the way I like it. Do you feel after all that, like there is a Larry Goldings or is there this kind of multifaceted person who is, what he needs to be in whatever situation. Well, sometimes I do suffer from from feeling that maybe there isn't, that I'm just sort of a, the, the, a zelig type of character, you know. But other people tell me... That... Both a Sharp 13 and a zelig reference in one interview. <laughs> uh, you're really, you're yeah. throwing it down today. I'm, yeah. I'm very well, impressed. I can't Especially get through... at this hour of the morning. No, well, I can't get through the day without <laughs> thinking about something related to Woody Allen. Um, sometimes I have to, I have to trust others to tell me that even in a context where I can't completely just be free and play whatever I want, that, that I sound like myself, you know, but sometimes I don't recognize that. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's enough opportunities for me to, to be Larry Goldings that sometimes it's just fun to, to play a role, you know, and to do it the be- the best that you can. It's, uh, it's, it's harder than it, than it looks, you know. And I like the challenge of stepping into, into a role sometimes. It's some of the hardest record dates, for instance, that I've done have been like real, like pop records where you really can't, you really have to step into a, into a very specific role. And sometimes it takes a, many takes to figure out how to, how to do that or just to find the right voicing that's going to just be right for that for that particular point in the song and i like that challenge so but on the whole i think that in most situations i do feel like i can kind of be i can be myself but obviously there are there are situations where i'm completely myself uh like i feel that playing with peter and bill as an organ player that's 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 me. That's that's I don't have to edit myself or or when I used to play with the uh, great drummer Matt Wilson, we used to play a lot of free music and to me that was another side of myself, but it, but that 
but hear me with in a context like like that would surprise a lot of people, you know, that because um, because I really like to play completely free too. So I'm very confused, I think, as ter- <laughs> in terms of what you know, will the le- real Larry stand up? You know, it as it turns out, it's a lot of things, and I have had sort of a hang up about that, but I think I've come to terms with the fact that that's just that is me, you know. That I that I that I could sort of jump around. I I do. I'm am amazed at certain people with really really strong personal musical personalities. Like as an example, Lee Konitz. Lee has sat in with us with the organ trio. He doesn't change his playing to sit in with us. You know, he doesn't get bluesier or like pull out his Stanley Turrentine or anything like that. <laughs> He's just Lee, and I I. I have nothing but respect for that. I mean, that's, that's what's natural for him. And, and then we, you know, maybe we have to change a little bit for Lee, you know. Um, but the choices that I've made, you know, for instance, that I like to play with people like James or I like to play on some pop records or this and that, those are, they seem natural to me. They seem part of, you know, um, not to mention that they, the James, Situation came at a great time in terms of, um, you know, I was raising a family and, you know, it's, it's, it's a very solid work. He's, 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 and he's, um, um, it came at a really good time in terms of, you know, just the amount of work that he had and, and, um, he's very generous to, to his musicians. And so there are those perks that, that have been very important to me as, as a, as a, you know, working musician. Um, but the important thing is that I love it too. I, I do, I do love playing with him and it's always a great band. I mean, Steve Gadd is always the drummer. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. And a lot of his longtime guys, Michael Landau, Jimmy Johnson, there's a lot of guys from a scene that I wouldn't normally have known, you know, about too. Um, Lee Sklar for a long time. Lee, and, you know, I mean, and just, once in a while we get to do it with Lee, his original bass player. Yeah. We just played a gig with Russ Kunkel, who's a wow. regional drummer, played those incredible fills on Fire and Rain and so many other great things. You know, I feel lucky that that for whatever reason I, 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 I like to be in these different contexts. I used to be a much more of a purist, though. When I first came to New York, I was sort of thrown into a very bebop, um, jazz police kind of kind of scene and i'm glad that i that i was that i embraced that um because it i think that that's a language that you can spend a whole lifetime trying to trying to learn and um it's not like i graduated from that or anything but i think i absorbed quite a bit of information really getting into that 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 music and if you had met me when i was 14 or 15 i mean i my record collection was Everything, you know, pop records and jazz records and Steely Dan and even smooth jazz. I'm sorry to disappoint some of my fans, <laughs> but I was listening to everything. Well, I was listening to a lot of that because even before I knew a lot of jazz records because, because of the harmony, you know, there was, int- there was harmony that was intriguing to me, you know, I was listening to Bob James, things like that. I mean, someone I still think is a great, you know, I won't mention the things that I was listening to that, I wouldn't listen to anymore, but, and then, yeah. And, and the great thing about hanging around non jazz musicians is then they turn you on to stuff that, 
that you didn't know about in the first place. Like I'm like rediscovering, you know, like Ozzy Osbourne. You know what? The guy, the guy can really sing. I don't know. The Kinks. Man, the Kinks. Yeah. You know, this is stuff that I, I didn't know about actually when I was, you know, and so I, and I'm one of these guys, I can never be without music when I'm on the road. So I'm always like raiding people's laptops and, <laughs> and whatever and, um, trying to absorb. There's so much to listen to, not to mention all the music from around the world. And I'm a big like Brazilian music fan, for instance. So to me, it's just, it's all part of the continuing journey of like discovering music you know i'm so fortunate that i've been with and it's not like i've just i've dabbled in funk and i've dabbled in folk i was i've been so fortunate that you know i've been able to spend so much time with such authentic people in those areas i mean james taylor or basio parker or you know jim hall you know um people who are or like really kind of iconic figures in their in their genre um so i feel really blessed and um and you you learn about that 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 style or that genre so much more deeply when it's with someone someone who's so connected to the source of that stuff sure. so i i'm i'm really feel lucky about that my guest is Larry Goldings. He's got two new albums out, a solo piano record and an organ trio record. And uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you about this. Thanks very much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Jason. Really appreciate it. That is Larry Goldings. He's just released two new albums, one called In My Room, a solo piano record, and the other Live at Smalls with his organ trio. Thanks to Larry for being on the show. Thanks to you for listening. Remember, the show is member-supported, so if you like what you hear, please become a member. 
the fun drive may be over, but the need for memberships is not. Uh, we did get to the 100-member level, and that was fantastic, but we certainly need more than 100 if the show, uh, you know, is going to really keep going and grow and hopefully someday allow me to live with the show as my job. So please become a member if you can at thejazzsession.com slash join. And otherwise, just get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.